Let's talk to Channel 5's own Cameron Justice here joining us on The Fan. Hello, Cameron. How are you tonight? Good. How are you? Good. I'm just reading something from Chef Zay. You know Chef Zay? Are you on TikTok or no? You're on TikTok. Uh, I am on, I'm I on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. Because we've talked about Taco Bell and TikTok before. Yeah, that's what, my, that's what my TikTok is. Have you gotten away from the fact that people just want Taco Bell uh, advice and suggestions instead of your Browns football content? Um, I try, but it doesn't go very well. <laughs> I, I post some, like, I don't really post that often, but I, I'll post some, like, <laughs> real type things, like Miles in the preseason throwing the ball to a Jets fan on accident and is then the... wiping the ball on a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> it's the funniest thing in the world to me. Let me tell people so uh, so people have a background here. So you, you used to work at Taco Bell, and then you posted all sorts of videos or a couple different videos about how to make things like at home that were Taco Bell, and then they yeah. just it exploded. And so you got all exploded. these Taco Bell followers, these people that love the recipes and the things you put out, and now you're like this really established, awesome Browns reporter, and you're doing all these incredible things, but anytime you post content that would be awesome for everyone in Northeast Ohio, there's people that are in like Alaska that are like, where's my, uh, where's my Gordita crunch post? Yep. 100%. And there's no getting away from so it. Which, funny is to fun, me. which is fine. Cause I feel like a, a piece of me will always like have Taco Bell. I worked there for so long and I like took that. I took it. So I take everything I do seriously. So I like yeah. really took it seriously. Uh, so I love Taco Bell still. I'll share my tips. I'll, I'll still, I haven't made a Taco Bell video in forever, but I think it might be time. And I don't know, maybe I'll mix in some, some Browns somehow get their Taco Bell orders or something. Oh, yeah. It's like it's cooking with David and Joku. I think it'd be a big hit. Okay. <laughs> I had, when I have a Taco Bell recently, I had one of these. They made it. I, I don't know how they keep coming up with new things. My thoughts on Taco Bell are pretty simple. I like Taco Bell a lot. But it's like the same three ingredients that they all make everything yeah. out of. And it's incredible mm-hmm. how they keep coming up with new things. Like I had this, I had this like cheesy burrito steak thing the other day. Yeah, the grilled cheese burrito. Yeah. It was yeah, great. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. And I'm like, how did it take somebody 25 years with the ingredients we've been using to come up with this? Listen, I'm telling you, they're so innovative. They're so innovative. They take the same couple ingredients, put it together. They'll bring in one special thing and, like, change the game. The beef crunch burritos, when they have the flaming hot Fritos, <laughs> it's the same thing that every, it's the same burrito as every other burrito. <laughs> right? Throw those Fritos in there and it's the best thing you'll ever eat. Oh, so good. <laughs> Love it. All right, Cameron Justice joining us here, not to talk about Taco Bell. We're going to talk about the Browns. Uh, so I was asking my audience the past hour or so whether or not they thought the Browns are real contenders. I guess I'll just ask you simply, do you think the Browns are real contenders? I think they can be. We've seen it. They have shown how they can be. I think the defense puts them in that conversation. It's put them in their that conversation all season. But if they can play, if their offense can execute the way that Deshaun Watson did in that second half, that is what puts the Browns ahead of other teams. But that's the problem so far this season with the Browns. It's been so inconsistent. Deshaun Watson dealing with an injury, opening up the season with not great play, but you've seen moments like the Titans game was that moment. That was his first full solid game where he looked like the quarterback they want him to look like. Then he gets hurt. Now he's back. He had a full game against the Cardinals where he didn't look great throughout it, but he started to, it felt like he was, you know, coming into his own. And then rough first half against the Ravens, remarkable second half against the Ravens. And that is, if that second half can carry over, if he can turn that more into more consistency, I think Kevin Stefanski's offense, the way he schemes, allows them to have success. It just needs to be executed. 
seen it over and over again. The mistakes mm-hmm. that take them out of it are their own mistakes. It's their own doing. It's bad execution. It's plays that should work and they don't because of the execution. You can see the guys that are open. You can see how it was supposed to unfold and it just doesn't happen. If you can get the Deshaun Watson that you saw in that second half to become Deshaun Watson in every game, he's not ever going to be perfect. You don't need perfection. You need consistency. And the defense has shown that they can be consistent. They can be dominant. They've done it all season. You've got consistency in special teams, both with Dustin Hopkins, who, although he won't make every kick, mm-hmm. is so even-keeled that he'll come back and hit a game winner after missing a vital kick, right? Mm-hmm. You've got Corey Bajorquez, who is playing out of his mind and giving them great field position. And even the return game, well, I won't talk about the muff punt, but <laughs> even the return game has had moments where they can find consistency in different ways. They've found guys that can just get it done, and that's what you're looking for. So they've got all the pieces and parts. They've got most of it figured out. I think it's offensively, the consistency needs to be there. And then there's no question that they're contenders. In getting that consistency, though, is that is that Stefanski maybe understanding that Deshaun is not going to be able to throw every deep ball? He's not going to be able to, to make every deep pass? And if you look at some of like his, his advanced numbers in some of the air yards, in the first half, Cam, it was – 16 yards per play, and then in the second half it was five and a half yards per play. Like he he changed, he actively changed what he was doing with Deshaun. Yeah, I think that's going to be a huge part of it. You also have to expect for that to develop eventually. So should Kevin mm-hmm. Stefanski abandon it entirely and just chalk it up and just get the bare minimum game manager out of Deshaun Watson? No. No, they need to push him, and they need to get the most out of him. They need to be able to see him hit those deep balls and get back to the way that he is capable of playing. We've seen him make those passes. We've seen him find Amari Cooper in stride on just some really, really beautiful balls, right? Like like the, some of those passes are just incredible, and you see it. You see what he's able to do. You don't want him to abandon that because it's not consistent, but you do want to see him make adjustments. And I think that Kevin Stefanski has done a very good job at making adjustments throughout the season in game planning, in figuring out who's going to be where, how they're going to attack teams. I think if some of the things that he needed to grow in throughout in his coaching tenure right early on, the red zone plays, the crucial moments, the fourth downs, all of those things, I think he's. you can see that he's taken a step. And I now I think it's because he's, he's able to make adjustments, which it felt like there wasn't maybe a lot of adjusting last year, whether it be offensively or even you know, defensively with the, the defensive coordinator. It didn't mm-hmm. feel like in the second half of games they'd come back out and, and give you something different. It was just, okay, we're still doing this. Where's the adjustment? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I think that has been their strength is – being able to answer problems as they are given to them and presented to them, whether it be, all right, Deshaun's not playing his best right now. Let's, let's dial it back. Like struggling. He's maybe, maybe his shoulder's still there. Maybe it's just not working. Let's set him up for success. Let's, yeah. let's maybe dial it back. Right. What's, That's what's, smart. Yeah, what's so weird to me, Cameron though, is that, you know, for the longest time, it felt like what Stefanski did best was the scripted plays, the first 15. And we kept mm-hmm. talking about that over and over again. And now it feels like it's almost like he, he does the first 15 Deshaun struggles. And then the adjustments made from there is what ends up working. It's weird. 
I th- and I think it might be that like that adjustment. Maybe Deshaun feels ready. Maybe they feel ready. Maybe they feel good about something, and they end up getting a different look than they were expecting. Or mm-hmm. he's maybe he's not feeling the. Because I mean, he hasn't played a full game. The, the Cardinals game was his first full game, and he didn't look great for a lot of it, right? And yeah. then he slowly got there. And then your second full game is against the Ravens. That's a tough test. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be easy. So, like, it, it doesn't surprise me that it might have been. It, they were the number one defense aside from the Browns. The mm-hmm. Browns showed why they are the best defense in the NFL. But the Ravens are up there. And so to have that be your second test, your second full game after all of the chaos that has been his shoulder injury, I do think maybe, you know, you plan for that and you think I'm good and then you get in the moment, maybe you have to change things. But – the fact that they're able to do it and still execute and and find ways to win, Browns teams of the past would not have done that. And I think that's what sets this whole thing apart, which makes it it makes it feel different because there's been so many games, even even close ones that maybe shouldn't have felt close. The Colts game, I think back to and honestly the the Seahawks game, if they would have just a couple plays down the stretch, they would have made that happen mm-hmm. like they were they were right there at it this is a kind of team that in the past wouldn't be right there the game would get away from them far sooner now they're finding ways to come back and win to keep themselves in it this is i think there's been a lot of adjustments to this team and it's showing up not only each game it shows up in the record but it's showing up in each individual player's ability to go out there too and and try to play better every week and you're seeing that from a lot of these guys do you think this win was bigger for Stefanski or for Watson that's a good question it could be <laughs> it could be both i mean i think for watson it's big because you know that that cardinals game you get the win you beat them handily but like it's a cardinals and he didn't look great in it. I mean, yeah, no, you're. You don't want to undermine. You don't want to undermine any win because the NFL on any any given Sunday, any team can win. They, they but, drive Lambos too, but we get your point. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got that, but like, how much does that really solidify his ability to go down and 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 you know win games for the Browns? I think it's big for Deshaun to show that he's not only can adjust and play through. Some pretty bad adversity in that first half. It was a pretty, pretty rough go, and come out on the other end, full 180. And not only that, but do what the Browns have been looking for out of a quarterback. It's not just somebody who can drive the ball super far down the field and make flashy plays, scramble and look athletic. It's the guy that can do all of that, but also do it in moments that matter. And the fact that Deshaun Watson was able to make some of those drives, get the team down the field, make passes that mattered, make decisions that mattered, and get them in scoring position down the stretch for that comeback win, I think that's what's big. Because that's what Cleveland has been missing. They've had quarterbacks that can get the job done, that can manage the game, get the ball out. Not many, but they've had them. (laughs) But how many quarterbacks have they had that can do that in clutch moments? It's been the criticism for years, these moments that matter. And I think Deshaun Watson is that kind of quarterback. And I think that is huge for him to be able to have done that against the Ravens in that kind of comeback win. For Stefanski, I think it's just, it's just another, because he's shown 
this entire season, whether in the Ravens, it's a big test. It's AFC North football. And he went out there and he showed he had his team ready to play AFC North football, which I think is really important for him to show that they're they're physical. They're tough. Cedric Tillman's laying out guys. (laughs) Wyatt Teller does what he does. He's laying out guys. They're super physical, super tough. The, the big team effort to get Jerome Ford those yards, like that is gritty, hard-hitting football. And that is what AFC North football has always been about. So for the Browns to be able to do that and give the other teams in this division a taste of the medicine that they've been dishing out for years, I think that's big for Kevin Stefanski with other games coming up, Steelers this week, right? Like you're going to have to do that again. You have to do it again against the Bengals. Like to be able to – kind of create that identity against that team on the road, I think is big for him. So I would say it's, it's, it's not bigger for either one. I think it's very important. It couldn't have come at a better time and it, it keeps him in the conversation. And it also makes a statement. Now there's no better time to continue that statement. You can't let, you can't let it go now because now you're playing another AFC North rival and you're home. And so you like, this is a, it's a must win game. We all know that, but more so than ever because you just made a statement and said you can do that. And the Steelers, frankly, are not a very good team. So I don't think the record is who that. they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but they find ways to win games. They have a great coach. They've, they've got talent sprinkled throughout the roster, but they're not a great team. The Browns beat great teams this season. So this is a must-win game because if they've already beat great teams – and they've already shown that they can dominate teams like that. Well, mm-hmm. Steelers at home, you got to take care of it. Right, last one, Cameron. Uh, we got the news from Nick Chubb or about Nick Chubb today. Do you think Nick Chubb, you're seeing all the production out of Jerome Ford this year. He's been outstanding, averaged six yards a pop last week. Incredible. Uh, do you think Nick Chubb will be with the Browns next year? Yeah, I think this is, he's, first of all, I wouldn't put it past him to just, be back early next season. <laughs> like, I, it's going to take some time, but he's his rehab process has gone so well. He, he was lifting weights before and working out his arms and his upper body before anyone, I think, even expected him to. He has been in that building, been around the players. He's worked so hard, and that's who Nick Chubb is. He always works hard. But now there is the motivation, not just to work hard to be a great football player. It's now to get back to the game that he loves. So, yeah, I think he's progressing so well. They're going to they're gonna have to be smart about it, obviously, but Nick Chubb is not the kind of guy that's going to loaf around and take his time. Like, he's going to get right, and he's going to get right quickly, but he's going to do it smart as well. So when he's ready to go and when he's ready to come back, like, I, he'll, be, he'll be back as soon as he can. And I don't think it's going to be one of those situations where it's a, I'm just not feeling great, figure it out. No, when he's ready, he's ready, and he'll be out there. And and I think it's going to be a, a very cool moment to see him back on the field because when that injury happened, I know there was a lot of speculation about what it could mean for him. And so far, it's been very positive news, as, as positive as you can get from something that was so so tough to see. Oh, no doubt. We got to get him on, out there for the uh, smashing of the, of the guitar. That's what Ken and Anthony want. I think that's a great idea. I mean, that would be very fun. Very fun. He's just had the surgery, though. So, I mean, just to see him on the sidelines, even if he's not smashing a guitar, just to see him with his team. I, he said, no, I want the entertainment. We'll, 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 save, we'll save it for the postseason home game. How about that? <laughs> 
see, there it is. That's the big moment, the big reveal. <laughs> Cameron, fantastic insight as always. We love having you on. Thank you for giving us a few minutes, and we'll catch up with you later. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right, good stuff right there. Check out on Channel 5. She is Cameron Justice. All right, we come on back. 216-474-0092. Is Deshaun progressing enough for you guys? We're going to get to the Cavs later on this hour. Busy 9 o'clock hour as well. Fan focus, Daryl Ryder, a bunch to get into. Your phone calls next. 216-474-0092. It's overtime with John of the Beatle in here with you on the fan. That's, I think, the main driving point for myself right now. And listen, that's a tough question that I threw towards Cameron. I appreciate Cameron hopping on. She goes, you know, I ask her, who was the win bigger for? Was it bigger for Stefanski? Was it bigger for Watson? Eh, that's, it's tough. Because the real answer is it was big for both of them. But that's not how sports radio plays things out, right? Sports radio, you need to make an opinion. You need to tell me confidently one way or another. Uh, yesterday, for instance, it's a question I came up with, so it's not hard for me to answer my own question. But uh, I said it was bigger for Deshaun. But in... Looking and seeing the reaction from some of you guys over the previous 48 hours, it's obvious to see just from a, if we're going to like pull the fans of their, uh, of their approval rating, kind of like we're doing some sort of like presidential poll and you get the approval rating before you actually go to the polls. If we're doing the approval rating on Kevin Stefanski and Deshaun Watson, Kevin Stefanski's approval rating went through the roof over this past weekend. I mean, he made adjustments at the half. He deserves credit for that. A lot of people want to throw down the idea that the first half was so garbage that nobody deserves any credit for anything. Well, think about it. How different of a game was that for Stefanski? In years past, how not too long ago, we used to talk until the cows came home about the idea that the first 15 for Stefanski was where Stefanski was best. He could always draw up the first 15, and then it felt like after the first 15, he was just poof out of ideas. And it never made sense to me. You know, I always thought he was looking at that Denny's Waffle House menu sheet play caller thing that he's got going on. I always thought he looked at that a little bit too much. And I, I've admitted before, listen, I, I, I watching the game in your television and then being on the sidelines is a different experience. You guys know that just from going to games, right? But like I, when I've been on the sidelines, which is not a thing you get to do often in this business, but I've been a couple times, twice, I, I, twice exactly. And I, I, I see Stefanski out in basically his own island by himself, and then he's looking down at the play sheet, and he's looking up, and he's doing all this stuff. You could see a guy in years past, haven't been to one this year, in years past, where it looked like he was in over his head. You know, he was up to his water and trying to make the play call while also understanding what's going on in the game and then make the right decision. The game seems like it's slowed down for him. The fact that he could open up a series and a drive the way that the the game started, that game started in particular, where Deshaun Watson threw a pick six, and then he said so in the media after the game. He was like, I, yeah, listen, we just started the game 7 nothing." We did nothing but just start the game 7 nothing, and then we continue to move forward. And then Deshaun Watson put up a passer rating of zero. You get a passer rating in the 30s if you just throw every ball straight into the dirt, okay? He had a passer rating of 0.0, Blutowski. It was incredible. To have Stefanski make the adjustments and to be able to have the offense get back into the game, and it's not the first time we've seen him do this. That's part of the differences that I've seen from Stefanski. The game seems like it's slowed down, and it seems like he's got a better handle on making the adjustments at the halftime, making the adjustments towards what he needs to do. And I don't know, maybe this is something he learned from Jim Schwartz. Maybe some Jim Schwartz lessons have rubbed off of him. I'm not sure, because this defense is another side of the ball that 
I don't know what happened in the Seattle game. I don't know what happened in this game. But we were down 14 nothing, and my pizza wasn't even cold yet. You know, I, it's 14 nothing, and I'm sitting there like, Phew. I barely turned on the game. I barely even. Uh, you guys know I do the pregame show here. So I do, I do the pregame, and then I drive home. And then usually by the time I get home, I'm somewhere in like the seven-minute remaining mark, five-minute remaining mark in the first quarter. And so what I do is I listen to the game on the way home, and then I play with a little bit of a delay, and I go back and I watch it all. But I, I listened on the way home, and I saw it be 14 nothing, and I thought to myself, I'll just start the game from there. I'll start the game from 14 nothing, and I'll wait until – I'll go back after the fact, and then I'll go watch it all. Because 14 nothing, I was like, they, I mean, they got to make adjustments. Uh, they got to they gotta fix things. they got to fix things fast. I got to know whether or not I need to care about what happened in that 14 nothing, uh, and really, really soak it all in. I'll always go back and watch the games. It is what it is. But you guys know what I mean. It was a disaster, an absolute disaster, just like the Seahawks game. Down 14 nothing with five minutes left in the first quarter, and then they go 50 minutes without allowing a touchdown. They make adjustments. Both sides of the ball are making adjustments that we just haven't seen Browns teams make. They go down early. The defense does, or then the offense doesn't get things going, but then all of a sudden Deshaun Watson comes to life. Like this, this is what I'm talking about with Stefanski, and this is something that I really do feel he's worked on and has gotten better at. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. Again, it's easy for me to talk about Stefanski in a positive light after a game like that. Doesn't mean he's out of the woods yet. I said the Stefanski detractors, they're like Homer Bush or Homer Simpson going back in the bush. A lot of uh, Stefanski detractors are they're backpedaling. Like they're Dustin Fox at Ohio State. They're backpedaling pretty quickly here because they they understand it's the tides are turning a little bit. It doesn't mean he's out of the water quite yet. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. Jeff in Cleveland up next. Hello, Jeff. Hey. Yeah, so Stefanski, Stefanski did he took a step back. Okay. He thought Deshaun could make these throws because uh, from the, the the height from over in Texas, pro bowler. Why couldn't he make them, right? And Deshaun, he didn't know no better. He thought he could make them too. Okay. Yeah. So after a few games, uh, Stefanski took a step back and said, "Okay, we got to gradually work Deshaun in," and that's what they're doing now. He's gradually working himself back into Deshaun Watson the way he used to be. Before, they just put too much on him too fast, and they thought he can do it. And he thought he can do it too, but he couldn't. Hmm. Right. Oh yeah, but but like I think Cameron made a good point off of that, right? Off of that, right? Like the idea that uh, you know it's great to go ahead and have him limited with the air throw or the air yards and everything like that for the second half and and almost play game manager, but you do have to keep pushing the limits of what you have with Deshaun Watson because you want him to be that top five quarterback and he's not going to get there if you handcuff him. Well, if he's have a rating of zero, well, I mean, you got to get the win. You got to get the win, Jeff. We we won't know that. Like, yeah. you got to you got yeah. to get him confidence too. Is the other side of this? Like, if I have to make him a game manager to get him confidence, I'm okay with that. But ultimately, that's not the end goal. Still remains the end goal, right? Yeah, but I'm taking I'm taking uh, Stefanski off the hot seat because mm-hmm. he said that his third play, his third down play calling needs a little more thought. Okay, because we all know third and three, third and two, third and one, those are always running plays. No matter what, where you're at on the field, it's always a running play. Okay, Deshaun has missed those plays every time if he threw the ball. 
okay? They only made it when they win. So Stefanski admitted that he needs a little more thought in his third down calling. Okay. So that's enough to take him off the hot seat. Yeah, I don't think he's on the, and I appreciate you, Jeff. Thank you as always. So I don't think he's on the hot seat. I, I I guess maybe we need to clarify what you guys think the hot seat is, but in my mind, he's got the rest of the season, and we evaluate from there. It, no longer the idea that if he flamed out by week 12, then all of a sudden they could fire him midseason, which is something that if you talk to any Browns reporter out there, anyone that's around the team, they all suggested that was never the case anyway. He was always going to get the full season. I tend to believe that was true because I, I like what uh, – I, I like the the people on the beat, and I trust the people on the beat. There is a part of me that thinks Jimmy Haslam's a wild card that you can never really guarantee something like that. Yeah, I think what what the past game has shown us is that he will have until the end of the year, and I think it's going to be the different side of this. I think it's going to be painfully obvious by the time we get to the Bengals game. It'll be obvious whether or not he has done enough to get an extension, or whether or not he's done too little to merit another season. I think it's going to be very obvious to us. I might regret those words, though, because it seems like uh, at the end of the day, nothing is ever, ever like really that hits you in the face obvious. Boyd and Aurora up next. Hello, Boyd. What's up, brother? Hey, man. How's it going? I think, I think Jimmy Haslam wants nothing more than to put trophies in that case and sit back and do nothing with this team. But no, Wouldn't that be me. what we kind of wanted from him for a long time? <laughs> you know, like, that's what every owner wants. Yeah, go focus on the Bucks and then win a title here. It's great. I don't know what we can ask more of them. Now, we're not going to see a better defense than the Baltimore Ravens, which we figured out in the first quarter. And there isn't a better defense in the red zone than the Baltimore Ravens, which we figured out in the second quarter. You take away that adversity that we saw at the very beginning of the game, which goes to Deshaun Watson, because he did that right out of the gates and still battled back and Mm -hmm. still played in the fourth quarter like he did. Yeah. So that proves it for me. But. No, that's incredible point, too. It's a good point because when you watch Deshaun's body language, I was despondent and then I was angry about things when I'm listening to it on I the radio. Too. And then I go I back and watch it. it. Yeah, and, and, but then you're like, you look at Deshaun and he's he's just poised. He's poised. I've watched the, I've watched the replay like three times. Like, love every yeah. second of it. But during the game, it was like, oh, no. Oh, no. But Deshaun didn't look that way, though. That's the incredible part. No, no. The defense had some struggles, but Schwartz did the same thing. You know, that was one of the top offenses in the NFL, and they figured it out, and that was the best part. You got it, like yeah. They came back, and they beat people up. They figured it out both sides of the ball. Like, that last scrum play mm-hmm. was incredible, and you saw Baltimore doing everything they could to stop it. It wasn't like they gave up. Like, if you look, their players are trying to fight that just scrum. No doubt. And we just smashed it down their throat. Nothing they That's could the do. Part. Nothing they could do. Thank you, boy. I appreciate you, man. Thanks, dude. All right, good stuff. All right, leave that there. We'll come on back. I want to hear from you guys. 216-474 to below 92. We're going to switch gears a little bit. we got the fan focus at 9. we got Daryl Ryder at 920. Evan Mobley reminds me of this NFL quarterback. I'll tell you who that is, and is it too early to freak out about what the Cavs are doing? It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here with you on the fan. Odyssey Rewind, go back and listen to the first hour. A lot of good conversation in there. A lot of conversations about whether or not you think the Browns are Super Bowl contenders. We're going to talk about the Cavs. i got to tell you this note first from our buddy Chris Fedor, Cleveland.com. Uh, Fedor saying point guard Darius Garland is out for tomorrow's road trip finale in Portland. So no Darius Garland tomorrow night for the wine and gold. Dealing with that next train, it's been... 
I mean, basically, if anybody watched last night's game, and I know it was, listen, it was on late last night. Tomorrow's game is on at the same time. There's 10 o'clock West Coast games. They're a nuisance. They are. They're fun if you gambled on Monday night football and then was like, ooh, oh, no, I don't want my night to end. And then you end up like me, who ended up uh, grabbing Cavs plus 17 and a half when they were down 21 because you knew the team had fight. And you know J.B. Bickerstaff teams, although J.B.'s got his flaws, they're a bunch of gym class heroes. They're a bunch of tryhards. The wine and gold, that's what they do. So I was like, they'll cover that, and they covered it with ease. It was fine. It was good. Nice little hit for me. But the difference here is that uh, I was watching that game, and Darius Garland just didn't have a shot. Now, Darius finished all right. I, I bet the over-under at 18.5 pregame. I believe he finished with 17 in the box score when it was all said and done. And it's not like he looked... Like, the eye test is what you need to go off of something like that, okay? The eye test, if you watch the game, it was 5 of 14 from the field. He was 3 of 8 from 3. So, again, not great numbers in any respect, right? Scored 16, not 17. Point of correction there. But just watching him play, he looked off. He looked different, and I don't mean that in a good way. He looked like he just hasn't really been right the entire year, if I'm being truthful about it. We've seen, what, one good game out of Darius the entire season? He's averaging 17 and 6 right now. It's respectable. It's not the end of the world. But think about like his three-point percentage, for instance. This season, his three-point percentage, he's shooting 28% with the deep ball when uh, typically he'd been putting up close to like 41, 42%, somewhere in that range. He just hasn't been having the same shot. When he shoots a three, I feel confident when it's Max Struess even. I feel confident when it's... Donovan Mitchell. I feel confident with a certain amount of players. How Karis Avert late in that game, third quarter, when uh, the Kings had that massive, just a massive quarter in general, and was hitting every shot. They had a, a season-high 23-pointers in the game. When they were hitting everything, I kept being like, all right, Karis, go ahead, shoot. Because he just kept hitting them. Like, I just I had confidence in Karis Avert. It's weird when you have more confidence in Karis Avert than you do Darius Garland at a certain point in the game. That's where we were, so it doesn't surprise me. Darius out for tomorrow night. Asking you guys two one six four seven four to below ninety two. Is it too early to freak out though? I I saw Donovan Mitchell comment to Chris Fedor, our buddy, yesterday, and I thought that comment was a something. He didn't bust toss JB Biggerstaff, but he called out the consistent nature and the inconsistent nature of this team, and that really can only fall on one person, and I think we all understand who that is. You know, Donovan makes the comments. He's like, I'm not going to comment until we're 10 games in. Now we're 10 games in. I think we're a little too inconsistent. Well, who do you think that falls back on? Doesn't that fall back on JB Biggerstaff? In my mind, it does. When this team has struggled the way that it has, I'm not calling for JB's job or anything like that. We're 10 games into it, okay? But buckle up. This this season's going to be an interesting one if they continue to play the way that they did last night. Sacramento is not some sort of juggernaut. They're a good team. They're not a juggernaut, all things considered. They're basically your twin on the Western Conference side of things. And by twin, I don't mean how their style of play is. Because you watch what happened last night. They get open, they can hit threes. But... What I do mean is they won 48 games last year. We were just above 50. They lost in the first round when they were expected to go beyond just the first round of postseason play. They're expected to take a big leap this year as well. There's a lot of the same identities attached to this Cavs team that you could put on that Kings team, and the Kings look massively better than we did. Again, they hit a lot of shots. More three-pointers than they've had at any point throughout this year. 
they hit a lot of shots, but the alarming part to me was how bad defensively the Cavs were in that game. And I think that's the part that I wonder to myself, how do you have a team last year that was one of the number one defensive teams in the NBA, and this year they're middle of the pack right now, and last night, I mean, it doesn't matter who you're playing. You play the Flint Tropics, you're not beating them if they shoot that way. Unbelievable, the way Sacramento was shooting, because they kept getting open looks. And it was almost as if the, the Cavs were daring them to shoot it. It's like you, you can only you can only dare Herder, for instance, so many times to pull up and hit that three ball the way he does, or Murray the way that he did as well. There's a couple plays that felt automatic. A Herder three ball, a Murray three ball, De'Aaron Fox basically touching the ball, and then DeMontis Sabonis down low. He didn't do it that often, okay? He didn't do it that often. He said he scored 23 in the game, but... It felt like any time he wanted to, he went to that Knicks play call of just go down low, hammer it inside, and beat up the hell on Jared Allen. He did it at ease. It was infuriating. Big moments in the big important stretches of that game, they just went to uh, to Sabonis down low, and he was able to get the job done. It was infuriating. But beyond Donovan Mitchell, beyond last night, I think one of the calling cards I have for this year is the idea that Mobley hasn't taken a step forward offensively. And I hate to sound like a broken record, but if this season's all about Mobley getting better while also being good enough that Donovan stays, we have to see more. His field goal percentage is worse, but he's basically been the same player he was offensively last year. No growth. And that's with only a slight amount of growth from his rookie year to year two. And I was thinking about this a little bit. I think I found the perfect NFL comp. For Evan Mobley. Justin Herbert. Chargers quarterback. Justin Herbert came into the league and, uh, you know, was awesome. Instantly an A-. minus. He was great right out of the gate. People were enthralled with him. People were, oh my gosh, he's already this good. He's incredible. Now you fast forward, year four. His passer rating in his rookie year was a 98. Right now, as we're speaking, it's a 99. He's basically been the same player. The problem with Justin Herbert is that he's been the same guy year one, year two, year three, year four, which is still really good. It's not bad. It's still really good. It's an A-minus player, but it's not A-plus. And he hasn't elevated his game, and he hasn't gotten any better in the league. And you point to one of two things. Not supposed to go this way. I think some people would point to Brandon Staley and they'll say, Staley, it's your job to get the most out of someone like Justin Herbert. Whereas I think that's how the conversation goes back to JB Bickerstaff when it comes to Evan Mobley. Because Evan Mobley came into the league A minus player, instantly awesome. But the thing you do in the NBA is you think to yourself, well, how do we get him? From awesome to being that much better. From A- minus to A+. plus. That's what you're supposed to do in the NBA. You're supposed to get better and better with each year. Evan Mobley has been the same player year one that he is now year three. Same player. Same guy. NFL fans blame Brandon Staley. I'm telling you now, Cavs fans, the NBA media is going to get on J.B. Bickerstaff for a lack of development from Evan Mobley. It's not going to fall back on Herbert. Same way it's not going to fall back on Evan Mobley. It's going to fall back on the coach. Because he jumped into the league awesome, and they've only stayed at that same level the entire way. A-minus to A-minus. 
Still really good. Still really productive. When I take Evan Mobley on my team, 11 times out of 10. When I take Justin Herbert as my quarterback, you bet your ass. You take Justin Herbert as your quarterback. How do you get these guys better, though? How do you get these guys going from A- minus to A+. plus? How do you get these guys going from uh, to another level the way that you're supposed to? You're supposed to, if you enter as A-, minus, you're supposed to, you're supposed to by year three, year four, be at that higher level. Justin Herbert, Evan Mobley, same guy to me right now. Leave that there. We come on back. Fan focus, Daryl Ryder coming your way at 920. It's overtime with Jonathan Beetle here with you on the fan. 